According to the Refugee Council of Australia, for the first time in recorded history, the number of people forcibly displaced from their homes is now 103 million people and over 32.5 million are refugees. In Australia, we have a housing crisis. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 122,494 people were estimated to be experiencing homelessness in Australia on census night in 2021. After the Northern Territory, Victoria has the highest rate of homelessness in Australia. Yet even for those that do have a house, it can be unsafe due to family violence, with over 90,000 incidents of family violence recorded in Victoria in 2021-2022, with December being the worst month of the year. As a church, we have as a part of our vision to help respond to those needs. And as a faith community, we can introduce people to an even better place. Let me pray. Jesus, would you be at work? Would you move amongst us? Holy Spirit, would you brood over us? Whether we're in the room here, whether we're on Zoom at home or listening to a recording at a later stage catching up. God, you are with us right now. And we invite you to be at work in this place. Amen. As a church, in August 2021, we spent time in our Welcome Home series, looking at what it means to feel at home. And it's interesting to consider the difference between having a house and feeling at home. And while people can build the most elaborate of places and have performance cars craned into their living rooms, the accumulation of stuff within bricks and mortar can still have you feel unwelcome and unwanted. Last week, we looked at how people can settle on temporary possessions and miss a better possession overall. Jesus spoke of, uh, to the crowds in Luke chapter 12 about a rich fool who settled for earthly wealth and missed out on a rich relationship with God. And while we believe in and are committed to the basic human right for people to have a safe secure housing, there is a danger of stopping at that and missing that the reality is that Jesus offers us a better place. There was this guy, Abraham, or Abram as he was first introduced to us in the Old Testament, that he was prepared to put his money where his mouth was, to give up the safety and security of where he lived, because he didn't want to settle for playing it safe when there was a better place on offer. In Genesis chapter 12 and also in Acts 7, we read about Abraham and Abram um, who pulled up stumps in Mesopotamia. He went from a place called Ur um, and it was a significant city. 
known for its great wealth and power. Abraham moved from a home with views of this to this, to living in a tent as a foreigner in a strange land. Surely this must be a joke. Moving from a home with bricks and mortar to a goat hair tent. Is this the first known episode of Survivor? So what is going on here and why is this meant to be a better place? If you have your Bibles with you, then I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hollywood can keep its uh, its walk of fame. Well, here in Hebrews, we have the great hall of fame. Heroes of faith that stand the test of time. In Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 to 3 we read this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Then skipping down to Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 to 16, we read this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. In verse 11 we read, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. Imagine that on your hallmark birthday card. You're as good as dead. This one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So Abram and Abraham, whichever way you want to refer to him, but we'll refer to him as Abraham. As, so Abraham leaves Ur for a better place, travelling some 2,000 kilometres with his family over several years. Talk about a backpacking holiday. Leaving his good home, he travelled from Ur to Haran and lived there until his dad died. 
And then at 75 years of age, he travels south to Canaan and settles there. And after a stint in Egypt, he travels back to Canaan. Time and time again, Abraham is referred to as a foreigner, a Hebrew, someone who doesn't belong. Someone from across the other side is now living on this side. In the latter years of Abraham's life, being obedient to God, God's call, had him ending up feeling like a foreigner in a land that was meant to be his inheritance. In fact, it seems the only land that Abraham bought in Genesis 23 was a field and a cave and some surrounding trees as a permanent burial place in Hebron. So here's Abraham, obedient to God, living like a foreigner in a land that is meant to be his future, his inheritance. And all he ends up with is a grave. Does God have some sick sense of humour here? I left my home in obedience and all I have to show for it, my obedience is a tent for a home and a burial plot for my family. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. But then we have verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Ah. So Abraham was looking forward to the establishment of Israel and Jerusalem and the, and the temple being built there. Skipping down to verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country that they'd come from, they could, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And these people died still believing. Did they die in vain? Perhaps, perhaps what they're really talking about is heaven, a transition to the realm out there beyond this universe where God is. Maybe that's the inheritance that they were looking forward to receiving. But Hebrews doesn't seem to suggest that either. After all, they died and still had not received the better place through their death. They, they died still believing. They died still waiting. And it's not in the land of Israel that they seem to be talking about either. Because in a promised land of Israel, they agreed that they were still foreigners and nomads on earth. The word looking that is used here in Hebrews, the word looking that is translated, is, is used in the present tense. Not that they looked forward in the past tense and then received it in the past, but even now, 
the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews, uh, in in the writer's day, these heroes of faith are still looking forward, even in their death. They are still looking forward to a better place. Not a heavenly place out there, nor the land of Israel where they lived, died and were buried as foreigners. They lived there, as it were, in tents in a temporary state without a firm foundation. And as they lived there, they still looked forward, straining on the edge of their seats, leaning forward, longing to experience their real inheritance. You see, this better place that they were looking for is not so much geographical, just a geographical location. Otherwise, you could feel at home there. But there is a a remaining restlessness for them as foreigners, as nomads in this geography. Nor is it a state of mind or some reaching the eighth sense or eighth dimension or some nirvana. Abraham was looking forward to a city designed by a master craftsman, a powerful builder able to deliver on his design. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, and that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. A better place. A better place geographically and physically, but also a better place with proximity. A place where God is not ashamed to be called their God. You know, for probably the first half of my life, I was known as Lou and Iris's son. But then, about halfway through, it started to change. I started a role in Queensland Baptists and a change occurred. And they began to become known as David's parents. Oh, so you're, so you're David's mum, are you? Consider this wording in Hebrews eleven sixteen for a moment. Not God looking out onto a sports field and seeing his child out there and then saying to a bystander, that's my child. It's even more significant than that. Rather, it's as if, as if a parent is saying to the bystander, you see that child out there? I'm his dad. Oh, how proud am I of him? I'm proud to be known as his parent. God is proud to be known as their God because they trusted. They lived and breathed the realities of looking forward in faith as citizens of a better place, a better state, as citizens of the kingdom of God. Today, we absolutely need safe accommodation. We need to have places of our own to hopefully feel um, uh, uh, that, that space of safety and security, a, a place to feel like home. But whatever you do, don't settle for the comforts of this place, of this space. Because if you feel right at home in this world and its values, then there is a danger that you will feel less at home in a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. If we settle for just the here and now, there is a danger 
that we will stop looking forward to a better place, a heavenly homeland. Jesus said, Jesus said in John 14, 1-6, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea what you're, where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And later, John records this in Revelation 2, 21 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So sure, absolutely, work towards a safe and secure place to live in this life. But why would you settle just for that and nothing more? When Jesus offers you a better place, once again, the Bible Project have a great little video that um, kind of picks up on this. And through the power of animation, the writer of Hebrews um, and, and some of the concepts that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is captured in this video. So we're going to show that video now. Thanks so much, Stephen. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting, is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted 
God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So, God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So, how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So, we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so, what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus, and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple, he's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. 
the focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So, in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Helpful? As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, 39 to 40, all these people, all these heroes of faith in the hall of faith, um, you know, the hall of fame of faith, all these people earn a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them, none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. They are waiting and they won't start without us. Jesus will come for you and bring you to this better place too. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to be a part of your kingdom, to be heaven on earth, to be a part of the redeeming of this space. Lord, would you continue to be at work in us and help us to see with your eyes the work that you call us to be, to be doing in this space. And Lord, even when we feel like we're foreigners, that we just don't fit, May that be a reassurance that we are being called not to settle, but that we are promised a better place in the future. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, a couple of questions for you. Where do you feel most at home and why? So think about where do you feel most at home and what is it about that place, that space, that helps you to feel most at home? What in your life has you feeling like a foreigner, a nomad at the moment? And lastly, Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How might looking forward to a better place influence your prayers moving forward? There's going to be some music played, and as that music's played, I invite you to respond to the things that God's saying to you today. God bless you.